So we're uh, in the middle of a series uh, called uh, The Big Adventure, uh, Following Jesus and How to uh, Not Miss the Most Important uh, Moments of Your Life. And uh, what we're doing as we look at it, uh, for those of you that haven't been uh, around to follow along, is we've been looking at sort of the story of the disciples and what Jesus taught them and, and those moments of connection that he had with the 12. Uh, we're we're going to depart a little bit from that in terms of the, a choice of the text today. Uh, just because I felt like there was a bit of a, a word on, on my heart for us as a community, something a little bit uh, different that he wanted to share. It's still a, a connection with the, the bigger picture of this message and the series that we're on, but uh, it's like there's, a, there's, there's something I think that God's been speaking to me, and I, and I feel like I want to just take a crack at it. So I'm not 100% sure where this is going to go or how it's going to go, but, uh, but I've just felt like the Lord's been leading me. So let's just say a prayer uh, for us before we go on. Father, we love your word. We love the scriptures. I love this passage you've uh, given me to, to dig into, and I just ask that we would get everything out of it that you want us to get out of it. Uh, would you speak a word to our church this morning? In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I love family. I love family and I love home and I love those moments in family life when you get to as a family just completely uh, decompress and be yourselves and be relaxed and just be in a space that's completely at home. I love my wife. I love this morning. She just lo she looks gorgeous. She's smoking hot. She's awesome. She's, uh, you know, I just love the way she sort of presents herself when she goes out of the house. And I love everything about that. But, you know, I'll show you. This is what I really love right here. I love this lady in her pajamas and, uh, and laid back. And she knows I took this picture and showed you. Uh, but you guys are probably the same. Like, guys, let me talk to you as guys. You love your wives when they're out and about, but they look, they, I don't know what it is about how people dress, but we dress in ways to make ourselves look better and look slimmer and, and have it all together. But I love my wife when she looks about six inches shorter because her house coat is as wide as she is and it's, it's puffy and it's big. And I love the kids when they're at home and Jack's socks are on the floor and they're all over the place. And, and uh, I mean, bless these little guys. Like they don't know how to keep all their parts covered all the time. And, and it's just a mess. It's just family life is just crazy. Everybody sort of leaves it all laid back, laid out. We're just not doing the dishes all the time. It's just not a presentation that you really want your neighbors to drop in on, right? Uh, family life is just something that's, that's intimate and, and something that's safe and something that's relaxed and something that's beautiful, right? We, we, we all love that. Um, I, I love this family too. I love this family too. Uh, this is um, my family. This is the extension of my family, the extension of my home. As a, as a church, uh, we do, we, we, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally not here in my pajamas today, although I was a little bit tempted to preach this message in my pajamas. Uh, but uh, we, we are trying to be a place that's comfortable and a place that, that's at home. We're, we're never going to be a church 
at least I don't think that's going to have ourselves, you know, dressed up perfectly and have everything all in a line. Don't, don't get me wrong, as, as a person, I, I, I want that. I, I like excellence. I love excellence in music. I, I love all of that. But there's some things that I'm not willing to do and sacrifice to achieve that sort of perfect performance, right? So we're sort of, as a church, always kind of... Uh, keeping those two things in intention, how to give a, a gift of beauty to the Lord and how to present things and how to do things well, but at the same time, we want to feel very much like a home. And that's kind of our vision for, for OVV. Over the last little while, I've had a number of people uh, who are just saying, you know, what is our vision? How do we articulate that as a community? How do we say what we are? What's special about us as a church? What's unique about us and and I think that piece is something that's really important that we are a church that's meant to be uh, not necessarily a program though I'm not anti-program I'm not against programs that's not a performance though I like worship and I like it done well and I like the sound system and I like all that but but somewhere in the middle there we're, we're all of that stuff that makes sense of clarity of the communication of the gospel but a place that feels like home that feels like community and so that's what we're striving for as a church I think that's part of what's unique about us that's part of what I love about us it's a place where I as a pastor can come and and be part of the church I mean there are times when it feels like I I sort of get lifted up on this pedestal kind of a thing and we just keep trying to kick me off kick me off and kick me off because I, I, I don't belong there. Every time you try to call me Pastor Aaron, I'll say, well, you can just say Aaron, you know, whatever it is. It, it's, it's a matter of trying to be a family and trying to be a home and, and at the same time trying to have uh, integrity in the way we do things and, and present the gospel. Every morning for me begins uh, with, with a fairly familiar routine as a person. Uh, I wake up in the morning and uh, usually fairly early, sometimes between four and five, and I'll wake up and I'll go down to my desk uh, right away. I'll check the phone for urgent contact and see if there's anything that's really happened that I need to be on top of. If there's some urgent need in the community, I want to be aware of that. But the next place I start is right here, is our, our church family photo directory, which is, is well due for being updated. And, and my, my day starts with you. Every single morning starts with you and I flip through and I look at these pictures and I notice who's there and I notice who's not there and I notice uh, who we're missing or who's drifted away or or who's uh, present and who's who's serving who's connected I notice that I, I notice and I love the family of Jesus we're, we're meant to be a family of Jesus we're meant to be gathered around him we're meant to be uh, connected with him and this is uh, just a picture of him in the center of this circle. And, and here we all are as disciples, gathered around Jesus, uh, longing to know him better, longing to know him more, longing to be this beautiful, intimate, lovely family. And, and, and that's a huge part of what I want. But if you continue the illustration and you continue to lay out the this vision for us as a family and for us as a home, it sometimes can get to look a little bit like this. Where we have a, a circle and a community and a family and a place that's intimate and safe and somewhere outside the boundary of that are those who are lost. Somewhere outside the boundary of that 
are, are those who are lost. That's not who we really want to be. That's not uh, what, what church is supposed to be. That's not what we're trying to be. But sometimes uh, in the ebb and flow of the way things go, uh, our lives as a community, we become a- exclusive in nature just by the intimacy that we share. That intimacy that is wonderful, uh, but, but has that side effect of sometimes uh, being exclusive. And all of these souls, all of these people that we're interconnected with, all these people that we know and that we love are sometimes on the outside and, and looking in. We look at that big, firm, hard barrier that, that stands uh, between us and, and those who are lost. And to, to them sometimes, and sometimes to us, it looks like a, a giant wall. And our objective as a church is, of course, not to be self-centered. That's not who we say we are. That's not who we want to be. But, but sometimes we think our, our, our objective is to, to reach those who are lost and to somehow get them over that wall, help them tunnel under that wall, help them find the gate, look just the right way, sound just the right way, uh, be just the right way to become and be part of us and to be part of our community. But that's not the kind of community that Jesus envisioned the church to be, and that's not the kind of community that, that we really want to be if, if we're honest with ourselves. Again, complete integrity to the fact that we do want to be a beautiful, awesome community that's intimate with one another in, in our lives. So, so how did Jesus do this? How did he balance these two things, this, this intimacy and this holiness and this beauty of what he was building in terms of relationships with his disciples and, uh, and this relationship with the world that he was desperately trying uh, to reach? And we look to Luke uh, chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 31 for uh, some answer uh, to that. And this is just that text that I sort of came across as we were going in this, uh, in this series. And, and it doesn't really fit with the, the series of Jesus' interactions just with his disciples, but I just couldn't shake it. It, just, it was just something that I couldn't let go. And so I'm just asking the Lord to lead us here. I'm just going to read this. Um, well, let's, let's pray again before we read this, the scriptures. Father, as we read your word here, Father, would this story impact us in a powerful way? Come, Lord Jesus, by your spirit and change us. Make uh, what you want to make in us through this. Let this word recreate us. Let it shape us. Let it make us new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke 15, uh, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We have uh, some some amazing things just packed into this short little series of of verses. Jesus is going to unpack this in some parables that are to follow. But just in this one picture, uh, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. What does that word gathering mean? In the text, that word gathering means drawn to or drawing near. The Pharisees saw that, um, that these people were drawing near to Jesus. They were getting closer to him. They were, they were getting nearer to him. They were on a trajectory that led them 
deeper into his life, deeper into his sphere of influence, deeper into his story. And, and that word expresses extreme closeness, immediate, imminence, a sense of presence. Uh, tax collectors were finding a sense of presence with Jesus. They're finding a sense of presence with him. And so the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, and I'm going to say the pastors and preachers of his time muttered about this. The pastors and preachers and spiritual leaders muttered about this relationship that Jesus had with these people who didn't seem to fit, and they grumbled. That word grumbling is an onomatopoeia. In the Greek, it's sort of, it would be pronounced diaongodzo, 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 diaongodzo. That kind of muttering, that kind of mumbling, rumbling kind of sound is what that was uh, in the Greek. And it said this, it says, Jesus welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now those words, we don't think anything about those words. We welcome people all the time. I welcomed you when you came to church. I welcomed you in announcements. And, and, and ate with people that, that, well, we just eat with people all the time. We eat in restaurants full of people. And, and that's not a big thing to us. But Jesus welcomed people in the sense that he received them to with warm reciprocity. He received them in a way that was a reciprocal relationship. He didn't just receive them in a condescending way. He didn't receive them in a way that was saying, hey, you can be in my space, lucky you. He received them in such a way that he had relationship and dialogue with them. And as we've seen in the heart of the suffering Savior, uh, what they suffered with and struggled with affected him. Uh, They were allowed into his presence and to impact him as a person and to impact his journey. Uh, They were connected with him. It was interchange, as that word welcomes. And to eat with, I mean, the problem the Pharisees had with this Uh, was out of this sort of holiness code that happened in the Old Testament where there was a sense that if you ate with somebody, if you connected with them, if you did relationship with them in a deep and meaningful way, there was a chance that you could be polluted by them. There was a chance that you would be changed by them. There was a chance that that they would impact you, that those people in their unholiness would somehow uh, change you. We just had a kid come to our place uh, for Toby's birthday party with a peanut allergy. Uh, some of you might have a severe peanut allergy. I don't know, but, but this kid was coming into our family armed with EpiPens. And that's somehow what we're like sometimes as a church or what the church was like in Jesus' day. It's like we want to be in and around and about people, but they could pollute us. They might have something on us that will make us sick. They might have something on us, on them, that will, will impact me, that will, will change me, that will make me uh, not right before God. And so the Pharisees had this uh, incredible uh, sense of criticism for the way this community was gathered around Jesus because Jesus' community didn't look like this. It didn't look like a firm boundary, firm walls, a firm line between who his disciples were and the people that he was trying to reach. Jesus' community looked very much like this. The border around Jesus was absolutely porous. It was absolutely porous. Uh, His disciples and the lost were mixed and blended and connected 
and, and fitting right in with his life. Now, now it's clear that he had a separate life with his disciples. We've been, we've been talking about that. There were specific things that he was teaching them that weren't as much for public consumption. But when it came to partying, when it came to hanging out, when it came to sharing meals, and when it came to doing community, uh, his life was porous. This was the community that Jesus was building. And this is what was threatening to the pastors and teachers of Jesus' day. Him eating with them and welcoming them wasn't just that he was eating with them and welcoming them. It was that they were concerned that a community was forming around him. They were concerned that a community was forming around him, was, was gathering around him, that something uh, more powerful was being formed, something more connected was being formed, something that couldn't be broken was being formed, something really real was happening uh, in Jesus' day as he was doing that, all centered around him. And we've said before when we've talked about evangelism as a church, I've said this before, if I could figure out how Jesus did that, we, we would have revival. Like, how did Jesus do that? He had sinners and tax collectors and the people who were the outright rejects of the religious community in Jesus' day. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to be near him. They were drawn to him. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted that sense of intimacy. They wanted that sense of immediacy with Jesus. And he didn't in the least bit compromise his person, his holiness, his beauty to achieve that. We, we, we as a church, when we think of, of having community with the lost, we think of what can I shed of my faith so that I can be here and have a relationship with that person? Don't we? What can I, what, I, what can I not talk about so that I won't freak them out and they won't go away from me? Right? But Jesus somehow had a, a way of just being completely holy, being completely himself, and then wanting to be around him. How did he do that? How did he love that way? How did Jesus love that way? This is what it was like. They, he knew that they were lost. Often in his presence, he would say uh, something like uh, the Pharisee would say, you're, you're hanging out with all these people who are lost and who are broken. He'd say, well, the, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick. And they're standing right there. Jesus, you just called them sick. Don't tweet that. Come on, Jesus. But they were there. Yeah, they knew they were lost. And they knew he knew they were lost. And he didn't become lost to find them. How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, Jesus explains it. Remember, the whole context of this is Jesus is taking criticism for this community forming around him. And so his response to that criticism is to tell these parables. And so I'm just going to read these parables in Luke 15. And let's understand Jesus' response to this criticism because in it, he describes and we understand a pattern of living in Jesus' life that made that dynamic work that made that community with the poorest border, with the lost and the disciples all together in community work. He had a way of doing that. Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 3 reads this, Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after it? 
go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the third part of the parable, and it's all the same parable. In your Bibles, you have a chapter break there that says the parable of the lost son. That chapter break, again, is not there in the text. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And he tells the story of the prodigal son. And I'm not going to take all of the time to read it, just, just for the sake of time. But obviously a powerful story, and, and much has been made of it. Uh, we're going to refer to it, but I'm just not going to read it. But that is the how of how Jesus created and built that community. And so there's some observations from there. How he responded to that criticism, how he built that community is explained in these parables. And so let's just mine them and see what we get. The first thing is there, as I said, there are three parables there, but it's really just one parable. And they all follow a simple pattern. That's how we know they're connected. Simple pattern is this, something is lost. The sheep, the coin, the sun, it is looked for or searched for. It is found, and there's a party. It is lost, it is searched for, it is found, it is a party. Lost, search, find, party. How many of you like the party part? Right, We love the party part. Amen, right? We love the party part. So what is it in these stories? What is it in this that gets us to the point of having the party? Uh, very often, I'm going to talk about this uh, in a little bit, but if church is ever boring to you, and if you're ever here and worship, and you're wondering, you know, why am I not celebrating? Why am I not excited about Jesus? Well, it's because maybe there's some things that you should be partying over that just haven't happened in your life. There's something that leads to the party, and we're trying to have the party without what leads to it a lot of the time. We're going to talk about that. But let's just look at this. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And I just put Justin Bieber in there just for fun. Um, I don't know why. He's actually, a, he's actually a professing Christian now. Can you even tell that? It's the, the graphic's too small. You can't see that. But that's Justin Bieber. I thought that'd be funny. Um... So first, uh, the lost sheep, right? What, what does it say in that story? Suppose one of you had 100 sheep and loses them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go off until he finds it? Dude, if you have 99 sheep or you have 100 sheep, how are you going to notice that one is missing? Like economically, 99 is almost 100. Right? And this, this is what I'm like. This is what we're like as a church. You know, one person drifts off and is gone. Well, we had 200 people at church today. It's great. 
we, we, we lost one, but we've got, look, we've got all of these. If somebody has, if I'm competing, comparing myself with somebody, uh, you know, 99 strokes in golf versus 100 strokes in golf, well, I almost won. I got 100, they got 99. Like, that was close. Like, I almost won. Like, well, we're not stressing that. I'm not stressing a guy who's, like, one stroke off my game. Right? Like, like 99 is like nothing. But this guy, this shepherd, was attentive to his sheep. He was attentive to the lost. He was aware of lostness around him. He was aware of lostness. He knew them. How are we aware of the lostness around us? How does the lostness of our friends who don't know Jesus touch us? How are we impacted by it when somebody around us does not know Jesus? Implied in that lostness, by the way, is that that person was found, that Jesus knows about them. That Jesus knows about them. Uh, In the story of the lost coin, this woman, like, if I lose uh, uh, one coin out of ten that I have in the house, I'm going to find it later. (laughs) I mean, I'll, I'll run into it when I run into it. Right? I'm going to find that coin later. Like, what, what's the big deal? And the sense of the son, the lostness of the son, imagine what that was like for the father. Imagine the grief for him as he facilitated this deal in which his son traded money for relationship with him. Here, son, our relationship, I'll put that over here and I'll give you some cash. Here, son, here, here's our relationship. Here's our, all of our journey together. Here's everything that we're doing together. Um, I'm just going to give you this money, and we'll just forget about all this relationship stuff. Imagine the lostness and the brokenness that the father uh, feels. Uh, searching is something that comes from a sense of knowing that lostness. You know, we, we as, as a pastor, as, you know, Anna and I even, in terms of how we've done church over the years, we've, we've had a lot of sense of, of losing people. I mean, people want us as a church to be a place that's, that, that's full of intimacy. They want us to love them deeply and care for them and have them in our hearts and pray for them. And then they really want us not to care at all when they go visit uh, to another church and decide they like the music there better. Or they don't want to drive 10 clicks to come to church. And they think, oh, we should just let them go. Heck no! That's not who I am as a person. I just about said something else now. I've been hanging with construction workers lately. <laughs> Hell no! Come on! We do not let go of people like that. When people are lost, when people go outside of our sphere of influence, when people that we care about are struggling and suffering and going off into places that are hurting, that hurts us. That hurts us and that breaks our hearts. That's how Jesus loved. That's what these parables are saying. These parables are talking about how Jesus loved. When someone was lost and he saw it, they could see his brokenness. They could see that this affected him. They could see that he had invested incredible sense of value in them and that it was impactful to him when they were ripped from his life. He loved them like that. That's how Jesus loves. And that's how we have to love. How does the searching work? How does the searching work? Well, well, 
how is it with this, this shepherd and the sheep? Like, how is it with this shepherd and the sheep? Like, what, what kind of guy leaves the 99? I mean, this is something that we don't understand culturally. This is not something that we would do as people. This is something that only uh, a shepherd in, in the Middle East in that time and space would understand. Like I said before, if you've got 99 and you're just missing one, you're all good. It's all good. It's all good. There's not much difference there. It's all good. That sheep is, is gone. It's okay. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it won't. I mean, I, don't even, I barely even go looking after my dog. I have only one dog. And if my dog bolts on me, like Anna literally has to kick me out of the house to go and find that dog. I've only got one dog. Right? But, but 99 sheep, I'm like, oh, man. One, I wouldn't have noticed it was gone. And, and two, like, it's going to come back or a wolf ate it. I mean, that's just the great circle of life, right? <laughs> but that's not how Jesus loves, is it? That's not how we're called to love. Jesus pursued. He went. He left. I'm going to go find that thing. The woman with the one coin, I mean, that language there is like she was diligent about searching. She lit a lamp. She threw over the couch. She tore up the cushion. She opened it up. She dug her hand in there where all those crumbs and chips and all the, you know, that chicken wing that slid behind the couch that your kid didn't tell you, all that stuff. She's digging in there looking for that lost coin. She's got to find it. She's got the lights on bright. She's burning up her hydro bill. She's going to find this one lost coin. She looks for it. She invests in it. And the father in the prodigal son story, like what kind of guy is there just looking for his son? And it's in the text. He saw his son coming when he was a long way off. Maybe today's the day he's going to come back. Maybe today's the day. And he's looking for him. He's looking for him. How are we spending and leveraging our lives to find those who are lost in our lives that we know? We want them to come back, but how are we leveraging our lives to reach them? Where are the dollars we're spending? Where is the discomfort of opening our homes? Where is the uh, investment? Where is the, the time? Where is the planning for each of us as individual Christians who know people who are lost, who intentionally, actively, at some cost to ourselves, leveraging our gifts, our time, our talents, our resources to reach those who are lost? That's how Jesus loved. That's how Jesus loved. He leveraged his life to reach them, and they knew what it was costing him. He knew what it was costing him in the criticism for him just being with him, right? He was taking all kinds of hits for hanging with these people, and they knew it, and they loved him for what it was costing him. He was invested in them. Uh, how do we, uh, what happens? What's our response to finding the sheep? Obviously, in all three cases, it's, it's incredible joy. It's incredible joy. The, the uh, son, or the shepherd, he joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders. Can you imagine that? He's found this sheep. This sucker is not getting away again. And if you've seen somebody like shear sheep in real life, they're not gentle with these things. Uh, they will take one leg, two legs, the other leg, the other leg. boom and this guy like had it in the death grip and smiling and laughing joyfully all the way, bringing that sucker home. 
bringing that supper, sucker home with joy in its heart. Same with the woman, joy in her heart. Uh, and with the, with the finding the son, the text reads this in verse 20 of chapter 15. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. If, if, if that's my son coming back, I'm running to him, but I'm running back to him. I told you so. You spent all my money? We're going to talk about this boy. That was not the heart of this father. That's not how Jesus loves. Jesus loved. He wrapped his arms around him. He embraced him. He kissed him. And in all three cases, it ends in a house party. It ends in a house party. In the story of the father, verse 22, the father said to his slaves, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and let us eat and celebrate. It was probably the calf that that other shepherd found. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He's been lost and he's found. The father grabs his son. He hugs him. He kisses him. Son, let me put this ring on your finger. I got you a new coat. I got you some new shoes. We're going to throw a party. I'm calling your favorite DJ. That calf that we've been fattening up. We've been getting it ready. Uh, It's my favorite. It, it, It was for a special occasion. You're the special occasion, son. You're the special occasion. We're throwing this party for you. And he embraces him. And that's how Jesus loved. He loved, he searched at cost for himself. And he partied an expensive party. Do you love the party? Do you love the party? That's what this Sunday morning service is supposed to be for us. It is supposed to be a party. If you want this church to truly be a house party, it has to come out of our ability to connect with the lostness of those that we know and love. It has to come out of us leveraging our lives, spending ourselves to search them out and to bring them home. It has to come out of finding the joy that Jesus felt and that we get to feel when we find someone Jesus has found. If we want this church to truly be a party on Sunday morning, that is our path to it. Now, how do you love like Jesus loved? How do we love like Jesus loved? How do we get to be like that shepherd? How do we get to be like that woman? How do we get to be like that father? The only way we get to be like that is by knowing that that's how he loved us. That's how he loves us. We are lost and have been lost. Are are you with me? Are we able to connect with our own sense of lostness? What, what, do you remember what Jesus saved you from? Do you remember what he's rescued you from? Do you remember the brokenness in your life that he's healed? Do we remember uh, the tears that we've shed? 
and how much we needed him and how he lifted us up and, and, and took us and saved us and brought us home and celebrated over us and partied over us and with us and through us. To be the father in this story as Jesus was, we have to remember that we were the son and that he loves us like that. That he loves us like that. Let's stand up. Lord, as a church, we, we love this party. We love this family. We love this community. We love what you've made us to be. I love the relationships and the sense of safety here. But would you be sure, Jesus, to make that wall around us a wall that is broken down? Would you make that border around us a porous border? And would you let us continually live in the dynamic of walking back and forth, forth across it, coming back to party, going out to search, coming back to party, going out to search, coming back to party, going out to find the lost. Would you wire us to live in that flow? Let us not ever get stuck at the party, partying with the same people again and again and again until we're bored out of our minds. Would you let us be a people who party the finding, who celebrate the finding, who celebrate the victory of reaching those who are lost as we're lost. Connect us with that sense of our own lostness. Remind us what it's like and, and motivate us to go out. Would we, Jesus, just love like you love? Would we just love like you love? Help us, Lord Jesus. Father, if there are any here this morning who... haven't ever crossed, haven't risked saying that they want to follow you, haven't risked changing that designator to being your disciple, would you invite them into that today? Would you call us to follow you? Call us to know you more. Help us, Lord Jesus. Send us out and bring us back for the party, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. God bless you.